This is Power and Consequence. Welcome back to Power and Consequence, a podcast about liars, grifters, demagogues, and opportunists who plunder and prosper while the rest of us fight over the relative evils of big tech. Let's introduce the team for today. I am Matt, and with me as always is Jelani. What's up, Jay? Hey, hey, how's it going? Quite well, quite well. And joining us for the first time to weigh in on our subject, we've got someone who, unlike me, has actual uh, practical and formal training and education on what we're going to be talking about. So this won't be just pure conjecture. What's going on, Bruce? Good evening, everyone. Bruce, you do, as I said, you actually have a, a bit of a background in the type of stuff we, we talk about. You, um, you were schooled in political science and you also work in tech. Is that correct? Uh, I did uh, go to school um, specifically in international relations, so I have a pretty, I think I have a pretty decent foundation uh, uh, with, uh, I guess, a, a good understanding uh, from a very practical perspective of, under, of American politics and uh, the inner workings of it um, and how that impacts internationally. I think so. Oh, you just said uh, a there's word. There's nothing practical about American politics. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, That's why I chose international relations. Well, well <laughs> it's practical if you're in control of the politics. You say there you go. Socialism for billionaires. And I'm so glad, Bruce, that you said that word international. You have no idea how relevant that's about to be. So we've, we've gotten lucky today. This is going to be good. All right. Awesome. So with that, um, speaking of big tech, uh, Jay, Bruce, I got a question. Why? Does big tech sacrifice so much of their profit on uh, prioritizing workers' rights and effective public safety initiatives? Is that like an ironic question? I'm being facetious. (laughs) They don't do that. Yes, yes. (laughs) No, 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 no. I mean, unless you're living under a rock, that's not something that they prioritize. I mean, case in point, Facebook has facilitated, whether they knew it or not, probably at least one ethnic cleansing in some part of the world. So there's that. You know, it's funny how it's like all these like libertarian philosophers. They talked about like, you know, information, the pursuit of truth and things like that. And then, you know, people today like to quote these long dead, mostly white men. And, you know, never, but never mind the fact that none of those philosophers could have fathomed in a million fucking years, the internet, let alone what Facebook has become. You know what I mean? I I just, I have no idea what they would have thought of that. So it's like pandemics in the early 20th century versus pandemics now that we have jets. So Uh, I'm sure they would have been very excited about it because they get to continue to talk out loud and have other people agree with them. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I mean, exploitation is exploitation, right? Truth, truth. I'm, I'm picturing uh, Alex, uh, Alexander Hamilton and the rest of them if they had Twitter accounts, you know, like shit posting each other. <laughs> that would have been amazing. Oh, I, I want to feel that Hamilton would hate Twitter, <laughs> but everyone who hated Hamilton would love Twitter. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Jefferson would love Twitter. But once again, these are like empty conjectures because they're very long gone. That's okay. Yeah, I think okay. uh, the Constitutional Convention on social media would be a shit show. <laughs> it would get ratioed. It would be a U.S. Yeah, I don't think we would be here if that was the case. So, oh, that would be. Let's uh, thank our amazing. stars that social media came a couple hundred years later. 
Oh, Christ. Well, with that, let's just get right into it then. Uh, Today, we're going to look at a man who I largely ignored, if I'm being honest, until recently. You know, I'd heard his name a lot in passing, but I never cared enough to Google him, and turns out that was a bad call on my part. I had no idea this person's influence. So, Jay, Bruce, uh, what do either of you, you know, Bruce, I'll start with you. What do you know about a man named Peter Thiel? Just generally. In general, um, I know that he um, is an investor of some kind. He's involved in the Silicon Valley space. Um, I know he recently um, backed a very large venture um, into the cryptocurrency space. Um, Can't really remember the name of it, but it's a pretty interesting name. Uh, So he started his own exchange, but uh, he's a... He's, he has his hands in a lot of different areas, um, good or bad. He does that. He does that. J- Jay, you referred to him. We were talking offline last week. You referred to him as a as a Silicon Valley libertarian or, or some such. So, did, am I am I misremembering that? Uh, no, you aren't. Uh, and he's actually, at least as far as I know, very forward about that. And I mean, for what it's worth, it's on his Wikipedia if you ever go look it up. Um, but yeah, like he's, uh, and kind of tied into that, he was one of the original, uh, in fact, I think he was the first outside investor in Facebook. So it goes to show, just in terms of ideology, he shares ideology with uh, other certain current billionaires mm-hmm. <laughs> who mm-hmm. run this social media platform. Um, but yeah, he... He is not quiet about being a libertarian in his ideology. No, he is not. And you, you kind of called it. That was one of his big things. Early investor uh, with with Marky Zucks, 500000 bucks, and got himself like a 10% stake in the company. So that, you talk about a bargain, first of all. Like mm-hmm. that guy knew oh, yeah, what he had. Unbelievable. And, you know, but the thing is, whatever we can say about Peter Thiel today or any day, um, you no one can deny that the man picked more than a few winners. He just did before uh, how he rose to, you know, sort of tech prominence was he co-founded PayPal uh, along with a buddy of his. And he served as CEO until it sailed to to eBay for about one and a half billion dollars. You know, uh, after that, he founded a hedge fund called Clarium Capital, did all kinds of money things that I will never understand because it's not my background. He takes money and makes it more money. Great. Good. Also, Palantir. Yep. That's 2004. probably a little bit more of a common name. Uh-huh. Mm. In 2004, he launched Palantir. They do data analytics for the, uh, for the government. And that company was recently awarded a contract with the U.S. Army worth about $820 million. Um, I have no idea what they plan on doing with the army. I do know that there's rumors that they, um, are about to, or have recently lost a contract with ice. So that kind of gives you a good idea of what they're tracking and why. And, you know, and by the way, that's really funny considering that it's Peter Thiel, who is like, you know, these companies linked to him are like, so are, are involved in like some of the worst, like government overreach, you know, of recent years, at least in terms of data analytics, you know, I mean, oh, and uh, Palantir was lit. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I just think it's ironic considering his libertarian stance. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's all. And that and, you know, 
Bruce, if you've ever listened to prior episodes, every subject we discuss, I mean, the, the overlying question is, is this person more zealot or is this person more grifter? You know? That's a fair question. Um, I think in uh, today's environment, uh, I guess socioeconomically, if you want to throw political in there too, obviously, um, I think that's a very relevant question to ask. Um, like, what are the intentions of this person we're talking about? Because uh, these lines are kind of blurring. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and like you said, he's kind of got his hands into everything, you know. And in um, in the American form of democracy, you know, we are democratic capitalists. You know, there's there's no way around that. One is inextricably linked to the other. Um, and I, uh, this sort of this speech that we're going to look at, I think, is a fair kind of look at how unhinged I personally think he really is versus how, versus how much it's an act. I, I, I really I don't know. I'm being honest with you here. Um, oh, yeah. And speaking of Palantir, by the way, and and, and uh, Peter Thiel and politics, uh, Palantir actually threw a few employees. There were links between Palantir and a company y'all might know called Cambridge Analytica. So for those of y'all yep, listening. I was actually going to bring that uh-huh. up. Yeah, yeah, Sorry. yeah. What do you, what do you know about that? Uh, I mean, I guess because now I'm drinking a bit of whiskey, so my mind's a bit fuzzy. That's okay. Um, we all are. I just know that obviously Cam- Cambridge Analytica was very much involved in, I guess, the kerfluffle of 2016 is what I call it. Uh, just like all of the activities around the 2016 election. So, um, there are some links with Julian Assange, Assange from uh, WikiLeaks there. Um, there's all kind of stuff going on. I know that they were, they were uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, I believe they were linked to, or there was some tie to, I guess, the Steele dossier or something like that. I don't, I don't remember. Maybe I'm tossing all these relevant events and mixing them all together at the moment. It, it, yeah, it, it gets a little bit messy. What, what can be said is Cambridge Analytica, of, of many things that were sort of like alleged, the truth of the matter is they obtained... Um, user information from like something like 80 million Facebook users. And from that data, from that metadata, they created sort of psychological profiles, which could be then, you know, marketed towards political campaigns. Now, the problem comes into play is that the link between Cambridge Analytica and people working directly for or indirectly for Trump. There was also allegations that uh, the UK sort of counterpart of Cambridge Analytica had some meetings with um, a Russian-controlled company, and like all big Russian-controlled companies, they are, you know, they are linked to the government. And when you put that all together, it it looks, the optics look really bad. Now, I have to be clear here. As far as I know, there's nothing definitive saying that Cambridge Analytica gave data to the Russians who then used it to interfere in the election. But there's, there's may not be fire, but there's a lot of smoke there. So just to be clear on that. Oh, by the way, Cambridge Analytica no longer exists, but I'm sure that's just a coincidence. Uh, they definitely just morphed into another company. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Do, do, or, or do they still exist? Or did they just did they do a WorldCom? What did they do? I actually don't know. I thought they rebranded. Yeah, they just rebranded. Uh, now I have to look up what the rebrand is, but <laughs> they just rebranded. Live. Okay. All yeah, right. We're going to do this Well. Live. <laughs> do it, Jay. In- interrupt me as soon as you get it. I'm just going to keep carrying on as I do. Successor, so, Emmerdata. Uh, em- what? It's called Emmerdata now. Emmerdata Limited. Okay. 
Interesting. I bet they do the same fuckery as they used to. They absolutely do. (laughs) (laughs) Amrodata Limited is a political consulting company based in London, formed in 2017 after filing for insolvency of Cambridge Analytica. Of course it did. (sighs) Time is a flat circle. (laughs) Well... For our purposes, as I said, uh, I want to focus on present day Peter Thiel. You know, we could go on and on about the things he's done, like the millions of dollars that he donated to Ron Paul's 2012 uh, presidential campaign or the fact that he bankrolled Hulk Hogan's lawsuit against Gawker and basically bankrupted them. Uh, And he did that basically because he felt like it because they pissed him off. Um so we're gonna look be nice to be a billionaire oh dude like just i oh i'm pissed off i'll i will bankrupt your company you know i mean admittedly gawker wasn't exactly like the most reputable outlet but um i just love how billionaires generally like to use the mechanisms of the people and the democracy to then crush the people themselves um it just seems to kind of be like a, a very a very ironic kind of state of american democracy to see you know, such things occur. Like, you know, these same mechanisms are the ones that, you know, regular everyday people can't even use to get justice for themselves. And yet you have these billionaires that can use those same mechanisms in the in, inappropriate way. Um, I don't know. Sorry. I'll tan- you. So one thing you'll learn about me, I'll go off on a tangent. And just just reel me back in. Oh, no, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. As, as all of our listeners are well aware, I have a tendency to ramble. So interrupt me. As I told Jay many times, interrupt me whenever you feel like it. Seriously. Just just okay. it's fine the, the audience loves it you know <laughs> and I got you know it's funny it. yeah it's funny you bring that up because like using the mechanisms of the people the biggest thing that that powerful people and billionaires all statistically almost always men uh love to do is create this this victimhood narrative this victimhood mythology that they are suffering the slings and arrows and when you have the populist version right as we examined last week with jd vance uh, it's this idea that you know classic populism oh the the country has or the people the real people have transferred you know the responsibility to me and i will suffer and i am all powerful but i'm also vulnerable you know but i it's classic strongman mentality you know <laughs> uh yeah sounds like a what Donald Trump attempted. Sure. Well, I mean, to, to an extent succeeded in, I have to give him that, <laughs> but low bars everywhere there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Peter Thiel, big Trump guy, big Trump guy. And, uh, it, he makes that clear during these remarks. Um, he gave Peter Thiel gave a speech on October 31st, 2021 at the national conservatism conference in Florida. The, as I said, the same event where JD Vance made his comments that we, discussed last week um just to be clear with everybody we kind of looked at national conservatism which is a project of the edmund burke foundation um they can call it whatever they want it sounds really close to nationalist socialism but they can't say socialism but the point is it's like all of this like you know for the people and flourishing um verbiage you know that sounds very very uh third reich but maybe that's a coincidence hmm Hey, if it looks like a duck and it sounds like one, I mean, there's rarely coincidences in symbolism. Um, I think that people go through large extent. They, they, they go through a very so if, if they're if they're looking to avoid a particular optic, I mean, like this is literally what 
marketing is kind of so, somewhat based on is like the, the image of a given company or an entity. So if you're looking to avoid a given optic, then you avoid the given optic. You don't go on that path towards that optic. Um, I mean, like it's pretty clear what they're doing there, just in my opinion. No, it's national socialism rebranding, basically. So, yeah. So we're going to look at this speech, which left me with more questions than answers about him, honestly. Uh, and my hope is we can sort of hammer out something close to a conclusion on what exactly the hell it is this guy wants, because I'm actually not sure. Um, so first impression. Teal is either improvising in this speech or he's a really lousy public speaker. There's a lot of ums. There's a lot of like, like, sighing and hemming and hawing and breathing really loud all right and i guess if you're rich enough a room full of possible crypto fascists will ignore your shitty speaking skills i, I guess that's crypto how it works fascists, i like that one. Oh, dude he is the first literal crypto fascist you know <laughs> <laughs> until he hits the ground running uh in his speech and he outlines all the problems in society that he wants to address right in this speech. And then he names a victim of what he calls quote, incredible derangement. It's a tremendous privilege to be uh, back here uh, as we reconvene um, from, uh, from a little over two years ago. And uh, there are so many different things we could talk about, but perhaps the theme I, I want to start with is uh, some reflections on the, uh, the incredible derangement of, um, of, 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 uh, various forms of uh, thought, political life, scientific life, the sense-making machinery generally in this country over the last few years, and what we can perhaps do to, you know, to counteract this derangement, what, you know, what can be done, what, you know, what, what, uh, what, what must be done. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe there's sort of many anecdotes one can start with, but I thought I'd start with one that involves, uh, you know, a good friend of mine from undergraduate days at Stanford, Jay Bhattacharya. <laughs> so, did, first of all, did he really say anything? I mean, he, he, he listed a few things, but did he really say anything? I, I feel like he's setting the stage um, for bullshit, <laughs> but, but <laughs> my ears are still open. Like, uh, I'm, I'm like, all right, say your piece. I, <laughs> I've, you looked okay. very confused, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I'm I'm just gonna say this much. I think I've been around the block a little bit in the workplace. So like, I mean, you see the same things over and over again. Like when someone that clearly doesn't know what they're talking about is trying <laughs> to somehow struggle along and convince everyone that they know what they're talking about, and it's very clear because, I mean, there's no confidence in what he's even saying. I mean, maybe that is a, a privilege of a billionaire. Like, you don't even have to bother trying to convince the people that you're trying to suggest whatever nonsense you're trying to suggest to them. Like, maybe so. Like, maybe that's a disconnect, one of the disconnects that they have. Like, I, I don't know what he was trying to say there. All I know is I wasn't convinced, and he didn't sell me <laughs> on anything. So, if I don't know if he maybe secretly listens to your show, but I'm going to tell you now, I'm not convinced. I'm not bullish on bullish because of that speech alone. So, just saying. I, and I'll tell you, I, I have you guys at a disadvantage because I watched the video and he is literally gripping that podium. I can see that podium visibly, uh, visibly shaking, you know, and I'm like, dude, did you do too much coke? Like, what did you do? You know, I, well, I, when he's, you're rich he's probably you just not a good public speaker. Um, I guess like uh, his if you think about it, the his friends, the his billionaire class that kind of came up when he did, uh, Mr. Zuckerberg and Mr. Musk, 
neither of them are really good public speakers. Like, yeah, true. You know, they're both intelligent, or sorry, <laughs> they're all intelligent. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But they're all not necessarily good public speakers. Um, and and yeah, I I think you're right. Like they're using their their stature in order to convince people of things. And just because he's a billionaire, people are already listening to what he has to say, whether or not it's good or bad. And I almost feel like it's a tell, too. Sorry to interrupt, but I almost feel like it's a tell because, like, I feel like, you know, if you're trying to convince me of something, right, like, you're a billionaire, you're you're someone that allegedly has this stature and you're someone that has, like, this name and they have this ambiance and this whatever about them and, like, it's something that you're using to convince someone to do something, like, why are you so nervous amongst a bunch of common people? And, I, for me, like, that's the thing that's the tell. Any of these people that... Clearly, they, they have no real interest in, like, helping the people they're trying to convince. They never look comfortable around the people they're trying to convince. Look at Donald Trump at any of his rallies. Like, he has security guards all around him around the post. Like, he doesn't really truly interact with half the people that vote for him. Like, I mean, it's the same with this guy. Like, I guarantee you, how many, how, how many autographs do you think he signed after this? Like, he probably got out of there as quickly as he could. Like, he's not used to being around these folks. No, no. People have described him as a bit of a sociopath. There's a lot of, um, and, and, you know, I'm not going to take this as the gospel. I can't say this is proven, but there have been some interesting anecdotes around Peter Thiel. Like, for example, there's a, there's a prominent uh, Stanford educator who wrote um, a Medium article about sort of an interaction she had back when they were still students at Stanford in the 80s, right? And the crux of the interaction was Peter Thiel, who uh, was born in Frankfurt, uh, moved to the U.S., and then spent a, a chunk of his time, his childhood in South Africa, by the way, uh, tried to make the argument that there wasn't really, you didn't need a moral consideration for apartheid. It was all about questioning whether the government was efficient, which I, he implied it was. Sounds a little Machiavellian. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I mean, it's easy. He believes that uh, Rhodesia should still exist as well. Right. It's like, that's a great, I mean, it's easy (laughs) to take that position when you're a white man, you know? Now, admittedly, uh, Peter Thiel is openly homosexual, um, so he doesn't check all the boxes, but I feel like he does that to do the same thing that Larry Elder does sometimes, where it's like he, he lives as an exception. And he uses that to market himself in certain regards. Also, he's already a, he became a billionaire well before he was openly, you know, known around as, as a as a gay man. So it's just like it's easy when you're rich. So just saying. If anything, I feel like that's a marker to everyone else to kind of remind them that power is, power corrupts regardless. Doesn't matter what your your categorization is. Like if there's someone that does not have good intentions for you. That may come wrapped in a flag bearing the cross, but it may come wearing a rainbow-colored flag. It, it doesn't matter. True. And, and, and you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. And, and Peter Thiel would have actually approved that, Bruce, because he's all about being an individual. So the fact that you said that he, I, what I heard was he is individually evil, I think he'd like that because at least he's not part of the crowd think, you know? But I'm sure he'd appreciate what i just said oh you know it you know he's he's loving this but um the uh the dr uh Bhattacharya that he was referencing um just real quick he is a professor of medicine at stanford university one of his old colleagues um he is a former economist for the rand corporation 
and a senior fellow at the Hoover Institute, which is a libertarian think tank with close ties, again, to Stanford. So Teal briefly describes how uh, this doctor was uh, victimized by um, group think or something. I don't know. Just just listen. You know, really found his voice in the last year or two as uh, as someone who started to question some of the conventional wisdom on on COVID, and you know, it began with you know, just a lot of lot of just very um, nuanced debates about you know was the infection rate higher, and therefore was the mortality rate lower, and therefore was the panic overdone. You know, if you were if you were um, prioritizing COVID above everything else, you know, how much um, how many cancer patients were dying, how many people in all other cases were not being taken care of where we sort of getting these very basic cost-benefit calculations right. Um, we sort of, you can sort of imagine how the, you know, how the movie roughly ended. It, uh, um, it ended with, uh, with posters of his face plastered around campus, you know, um, the sort of the, this, this, this terribly evil person, you know, probably that the hope was that someone would muster up the courage and maybe beat him up on sight or, or something like that. Normally, probably it's mostly kayfabe and LARPing, but, but uh, that's sort of uh, what, what people are hoping, I guess, and then, and then um, a petition circulated by his faculty colleagues, calling for him to be shut up, so as not to quote put lives at risk unquote. So we, you know, it was very, very, it was very uncomfortable for him to have this person who the university wasn't specifically telling to shut up and not not talk. Yeah, yeah, he tends to ramble a lot, so you got to really focus in to to try to follow his train of thought. You know, and and. I, I know it hasn't been that long, but maybe it's been too long because I think I'm starting to understand these people <laughs> in in the sense that if you if you pair his his political ideology and then kind of like his matter of fact thinking, so to speak, because um, he just talked about how he referenced the apartheid. Uh, I can see why they choose these people um, like this doctor who was kind of going against the grain and saying, well, if you look at the numbers, because to Peter Thiel, one uh, percent of the country, even though that's, you know, three point five, four million people, it's still only one percent. There's still three hundred and fifty to four hundred million people. Uh, and to him, he doesn't care because uh, he, he's looking at the world on this kind of global scale and uh, even where he's looking at the country on this broader scale and yeah, losing 1%, it, it doesn't matter to him because on the grand scale, he's just working at a different systematic level. And I can see why he's bothered when people like that doctor get called out because, you know, other parts of the system are being hampered, which are making him richer, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, people should kind of listen to these people and just, let the the weak, uh, I want to say not survive, but yeah, let let the weak go on. And because he's at the top of the food chain, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> I think it's a manipulation. It's like a danger of danger. It's it's. I I tell people this now a lot more often because it's more relevant. It's the danger of data. It's one of the dangers of data is that you can take, and maybe it's just a known danger of just throwing out numbers that look like statistics, is that you can tell any story you want, and without any context, you can paint whatever picture. So the the really nasty, dangerous, insidious thing about the COVID pandemic that a lot of these folks were doing is that they were literally co-opting science to 
essentially advanced anti-science. And it, it essentially confused people in a way that made them essentially, um, you know, just not believe real science. Like, it made them confused. It was yeah, like and just overwhelming. And propagate the situation that we're in. Exactly. Which could have been over in literally three to six months. And now here we are uh, two years later. Or, or, or at least managed with far fewer fatalities, you know, uh, and, and, you know, that that's that's kind of and that's that's central to what this story is. Right. Because, I mean, you, you hit on it because that's what this doctor was all about is all about. So the story that Teal is telling, OK, it's a first of all, he's he's talking about some posters, right, that appeared around the Stanford campus a few months back featuring uh, Bhattacharya linking him to increased COVID deaths in Florida. It's like a meme, but real life. You know, it's just little posters somebody anonymously put up. Okay, anybody could do it. Now, the OG meme. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> now, I've, wow, I never realized that. It's just a poster. Shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so. Now, I've only seen uh, this story reported on publications like The Federalist and other like right wing. Um, I don't want to call them news outlets, but gold standards. I, I yeah, but uh, you know what? I'll, I'll I'll take it as accurate for now because that's really the only place I've seen this mostly talked about, or like other sites that are just you know uh, signal boosting that same article. It's from like uh, I think September fifteenth. Now, in that Federalist piece, um, it says nothing about threats against Bhattacharya's safety. That is pure editorializing by Teal to do what we were talking about. It creates this victim narrative. All right. Um, and I want to reiterate something that Dr. Bhattacharya is a professor at Stanford. He's got like a stack of degrees. OK, um, he writes all the time. He's on all kinds of like he, he, he is spoken to. He's interviewed. He's paid for his time. He's a tenured professor at Stanford. All right. Teal is suggesting that Bhattacharya is being suppressed by someone. He'll get into that in a minute. And that is just laughable on the face of it. Okay, this is the type of you know this is the example that Teal is bringing to the table to make the point that will will emerge as as we go through this. All right. Um, oh, also according to the Federalist, that petition circulated by Bhattacharya's um, colleagues that didn't even name him. It was just asking um, one of the one of the admins like, can you please reiterate the policy on you know um, individual staff members declaring you know health policy as if it were, you know, Stanford's policy. That's that's all it was. Okay, so Teal's misrepresenting this. So was that functionally a self-own? <laughs> not in that room. Not in the not in the national conservatism uh, forum because they're not going to look that up. And even if they did, they don't care. You know, this is a group that basically believes that nationalism, right, a, a demonstrably failed uh, political position is the answer to globalism. And I'll get into that in a minute, uh, what that means. <laughs> and, uh, but Teal isn't done yet, okay? So in telling the uh, the tale of the tragedy of Bhattacharya, right, he demonstrates that even a billionaire can be really bad with logic. Um, and if you want to sort of distill it down to the specific crime, I think there was maybe one sentence that he had in one of his things. Um, and uh, I'll quote it, uh, quote, there is no high quality evidence to support the assertion that masks stop the COVID disease from spreading, unquote. And this was, of course, a nuanced thing. Didn't say there was no evidence. It was saying that maybe there was quality evidence, but there was no high quality evidence. Uh, and then, you know, and then um, there could be sort of a, 
a debate about this, which of course never never happens, and one one then suspects that uh, that you know the the sort of natural suspicion I always have is that uh, if we can't have a debate about the high quality, whether the evidence is high quality or not, that tells us the evidence probably wasn't high quality, and he's probably simply simply right. Um, okay, okay. Did did we catch that at the end? Did we catch what he just did there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what the hell was he trying to? Okay. That's pandering. Yeah, yeah. Because, like you said, logically, that doesn't make any sense at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How do you even get to that conclusion? Like, you literally just said... (laughs) Like, you drew a conclusion off of just assuming, off rip, and you just said you did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And there's there's two big things there. Like, one, the idea that, like... And and the far right loves doing this. They 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 have they make this assertion that what they believe in is like you know uh, robust conversations and vigorous debate, right? Um, implying that they're talking about debate in the classic sense, which is two people or more coming together, hashing something out, and you know the the goal is to arrive at something close to the truth. Whereas modern political debate is simply winning. You know, it's not about arriving at the truth. So having said that, you know, what he's doing is he's 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 saying it up in such a way that like, oh, if Bhattacharya was wrong, then people should have offered him a big forum where he got to shoot his mouth off and debate this, you know, and prove him wrong. But because nobody offered this fucking crack, um, uh, this this crackpot a forum, that means that he was right. That doesn't make any sense. Sorry, he should have he should have pulled himself up by his bootstrap <laughs> and started his own website and social media presence, and then maybe people would have listened to him. Sounds like a very entitled position to have to me, Peter. Yep, yep. This uh, this podcast once again is brought to you by Baby Bootstraps. So, Baby Bootstraps. I sell them. Yep, there you go. Start them when they're young, and anything's possible. Yeah, no, it's bullshit. It's just like if you if you're not willing to engage with me, I must be right, and, and that's that that doesn't make any sense. Like, because again, if if Bhattacharya was just some guy uh, screaming on your street corner, and if Peter Thiel was just the dude who serves you coffee, nothing against people in the service industry, you know, but in this capitalist society, no one would give two shits what he thought. You know, they just they just wouldn't flat out. And I mean, dare we even mention that? Literally the opposite of what he said has happened where it's been proven <laughs> that the simple wearing a mask, especially masks of certain types, helps decrease the spread of this airborne disease. Um, once again, logic in its most basic sense, I don't understand why people are so against this. Like, the disease comes from your mouth. Cover your mouth. Problem solved. <laughs> I mean... It's almost like people don't understand that, hey, or they do understand that, hey, if I cover my mouth when I cough, when I have the cold, it might not go places, but oh my gosh, the mask won't work. Right. Ah. And, and what are those surgeons wearing it for? Yeah. Yeah. What are those paints, painters, and construction workers wearing it for? Clearly, it's all hoax. (laughs) Dust particles are a hoax. Clearly, it's a hoax. Mm -hmm. All hoax. Yeah, it's it, it's it's that's all it is. It's political theater, you know. Um, and I, I'm not quite sure what Teal is talking about in terms of evidence to support uh, uh, this doctor's position, you know. And um, which he hasn't even presented what it is exactly, and he won't. He won't. But I will, um, because Teal. Yeah. Can I- 
inter- I want to. Ins- I, I had this conversation yesterday. I'm sorry. I, I am an interjection Do machine. It. You're gonna. Yeah. If it's for the listeners, and if I'm ever invited back on this again, I promise you, I will never not leave you entertained. I have something for you every time. <laughs> Anyways, um, I always find it interesting that like these like guys like Peter Thiel, these like alleged leaders, operate in these traditional corporate structures, right? Where true information is delineated and it's groomed for them. So at the end of the day, the real people that know what the data is, he he would never even see that stuff. Like he's a decision maker. Like his job is to take a prepared report and make a decision off of that. So why would I listen to anything he has to say? Like he might have like a prepared amount of data to make a strategic decision, but what actual data analysis has he done? Like that's like me going to I don't know a nursing aide instead of the nurse to have like all of my nursing care done. Like the nursing aide might have a little bit of an understanding, but they don't clearly have the deep understand, like the deep granular nuanced understanding of like how to reach like a conclusion or to make a decision. Like, so if like in a, in a nurse's case in healthcare, you know, they, they help a doctor make a, a decision from a diagnosis perspective. And they also help all the other things that they don't have to do. But like the doctor themselves doesn't always have that data. That's why they have nurses. That's why they have, you know, medical assistants. So Peter Thiel being like a leader, how does he truly know what he's even talking about? If he claims to be the leader of any thing how are you unless you're in the weeds which you mostly aren't going to be in the weeds how are you how do you know what you're talking about well and and that's the thing you know it's like peter Thiel. you know yeah did he go to stanford yes he he had a ba i believe in philosophy he does have a law degree also from stanford okay i'll i'll grant him he has a certain but see this is see this is this is the problem so what exactly exactly in 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 the context now if his speech was advising people on like something with regard to the law Okay, fine. And the problem here is when you have people who are good, like all of us, are good, maybe even great at one thing, and then they get bored or something, and they they decide that they are going to be great at everything. You know what I mean? Like Donald Trump, whatever else I want to say about him, I can say a lot of stuff. One thing I do know about him, he got a lot of people in the before times to tune in and watch his stupid ass shows. He in just that thing, he showed value. Now, the shows were stupid. I never watched them. But, you know, the audience numbers were undeniable. Right. And then he thinks that translates into being the fucking president. And, you know, we know how that turned out. So Teal, you know, speaking of um, trying to do everything now, he's going to become a historian. Okay, he's going to give some alternative history, some alternative facts. Right. And he's going to do this by trying to uh, rewrite history regarding his doctor friend's bullshit herd immunity theory. And, uh, and, and of course, more generally, it raises questions about just this, this very, very strange uh, way in which, you know, the mob goes against the individual, in which, you know, the consensus theories of truth seem to misfire so badly in our, in our society, where, you know, when we, we look back, you know, a year, year and a half later, um, I think he was more right than wrong on these things, as far as I can tell. It's still complicated. Um, certainly, there was something deranged about a debate in which you you could not have these sorts of uh, you could not have these sorts of discussions. Okay, so just to be clear, what he's referring to is Dr. Budajaria's, um, you know, being more right than wrong. Okay, and that it's complicated a year later. 
This is in reference to something called the Great Barrington Declaration, right? And it's about as dumb as the title, okay? Uh, it was signed by several doctors, including uh, Bougeria, and basically it called for what they referred to as focused protection with regard to COVID, okay? This was released, I believe, October 4th of 2020, okay? Uh and essentially it went like this. Older people and high-risk population people should stay home. And low-risk uh, population people should go out and live like it's pre-COVID days in the interest of the economy and developing herd immunity. That's basically it. Okay? And just to be clear on this, I'm going to quote directly from the, uh, the Great Barrington Declaration. Here's the last paragraph. Quote, those who are not vulnerable should immediately be allowed to resume life as normal. Simple hygiene measures such as hand washing and staying home when sick should be practiced by everyone to reduce the herd immunity threshold. Schools and universities should be open for in-person teaching. Extracurricular activities such as sports should be resumed. Young, low-risk adults should work no excuse me. Young, low-risk adults should work normally rather than from home. Restaurants and other businesses should be uh, open. Arts, music, sport, and other cultural activities should resume. People who are more at risk may participate if they wish, while society as a whole enjoys the protection conferred upon the vulnerable by those who have built up herd immunity. End quote. So Here's the most basic logical flaw about this argument, and I've heard it time and time again since the beginning of all this. People say, oh, the people who aren't vulnerable should be able to go out and do what they need to do, uh, and everything will be fine, uh, as long as you're, you stay home when you're sick. So there's two things about that. Uh, a, um, in this society that we live in, not everyone has the ability to stay home when they're sick for a variety of reasons. Um, but just to name a couple, uh, sometimes people need to work in order to eat and pay their fucking bills. <laughs> um, number two, the key thing about this disease is that it has the possibility for asymptomatic spread, which means you don't fucking know you're sick and you're out there spreading disease and even though you may not show any symptoms, you can spread it to someone and murder them. <laughs> well, we won't call it murder, but you can indirectly kill them because um, murder implies intent. There's no intent. Sure, um, sure. Maybe manslaughter. You can manslaughter someone. <laughs> you can manslaughter them. <laughs> there we go. Lots of manslaughtering. Uh, yeah. And so <sighs> these people are going around acting like they just like the asymptomatic asymptomatic part just doesn't make any fucking sense to them they're also mm -hmm. going around with their privilege peter thiel is a literal billionaire he couldn't stop working and then the next three generations of his family could not work and they'll all be fine there's people out there who don't have twenty dollars in their bank account in order to buy their meal tomorrow or to pay their rent and they can't stop working um and you can't you can't have this perfect world that they're talking about where, oh, everyone goes out and, you know, the sick people stay home. It just doesn't exist. They're just too detached from reality and they don't realize it. And if Teal does get totally sick, agree. he can have all the medicine, like all of it. You know, he, there's <laughs> he nothing that the exists. <laughs> there's nothing that exists that he can't have. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, so, I mean, just to kind of create this analogy and put this out in the ethos, I'm just saying, like, Peter Thiel, when he left that, he didn't fly southwest like I would. <laughs> 
like he flew in his private jet. So like, he, like he has the privilege to like feel like, oh, cool, like this is something I don't have to care about. Cool, like you're in a self-contained, like you know, you have your own self-contained flying coffin. Like I don't have my own self-contained flying coffin. So like you get to have all the luxury and all the medical you know resources available to you. So you get to afford to have that that viewpoint. Like that's that's absurd. I mean. Like, like a white man in favor or at least not opposed to apartheid, you know? Right. It's like, of, of course, it's easy for you to easy for you to fucking say, you know, if only there was a real world example of an entire nation that took this approach. But oh, wait, there is Sweden, <laughs> Sweden. Got to love them. Right. Gotta love the Swedes. Uh, as those of you listening may remember, uh, Sweden kind of shocked the medical world early in the pandemic when it announced that COVID safety measures, for the most part, would be voluntary. For the most part. Um, and there were some restrictions, but, I mean, barely any that mattered, okay? Now, those that stance eventually changed as the pandemic went on for reasons that were fairly predictable to most epidemiologists at the time. All right. So this is from an article in Business Insider from August 2021. Quote, Sweden has recorded more COVID-19 cases per capita than most countries so far. Since the start of the pandemic, roughly 11 out of every 100 people in Sweden have been diagnosed with COVID-19, compared to 9.4 out of every 100 in the UK, 7.4 per 100 in Italy. Sweden has also recorded around 145 COVID-19 deaths for every 100,000 people. That's around three times more than Denmark, eight times more than Finland, and nearly 10 times more than Norway, which is basically right next door. So that right next door, that was me editorializing. Sorry. So, (laughs) yeah. So didn't work. Did not work. Um, one more thing. Uh, the uh, the Great Barrington Declaration, that was supported by the American Institute for Economic Research, which is a libertarian think tank based in, guess where, Great Barrington, uh, Massachusetts. So, yeah. That, That's an odd name for a city. I just want to point that out. Great Barrington? Yeah. Yes. It, it, Did they also um, co-sign that demon sperm um kind of like treatment that they were kind of pushing out there oh oh you are whole, you referring to america's frontline doctors of a, yeah. yeah so i mean i mean they were co-signing that so why not toss demon sperm in there while we're at it <laughs> we, i mean why not get ethiopian goat milk while we're at it let's just spread it all over my body and i'm gonna just go walk down the street and when it's 40 degrees well i mean, I mean that, that, that that's about as effective as far as i know uh i have to spread it directly on my balls or they will become huge <laughs> if <laughs> I took the vaccine. I don't know if I'm mixing two things here. So, right? Who? Those, uh, to, somebody's cousin or something? Check, check with that, your doctor, that, folks. Yeah, that would. Um, is it Miss <laughs> Nikki? Miss Minaj's cousin. Yeah. Uh, heard that someone got the vaccine and their balls swole up. Um, I, <laughs> I just. I, I, I and how that is not the strangest thing like because like not not too long after like Senator Ted Cruz a human being got into a fight over social media with a an imaginary uh, car, uh, bird puppet big bird you know so oh uh, I thought you were gonna bring up Devin Nunez and his cow oh, oh well oh or or the fact that he's leaving um, uh, Congress to take over Trump's social media. 
company. Yeah, that's that's almost a whole podcast in and of itself. That, oh, I, I, I I don't even know where to begin. I, I but I do <laughs> Please know where invite to invite me back for that. Yeah. Oh, we should we should do that. Which that's future Please. episode. But for now, we're gonna stay on uh, crypto fascist uh, Peter Thiel. I'm gonna see if I can get that one to stick. That's gonna try that hashtag. Um, Thiel is coming to the point in his speech where he's kind of getting to his point about science, politics, and really democracy in general, at least the way he sees it, all right? Which is pretty much too much democracy can have really bad outcomes. You know, if you want to frame it politically, we always think of, you know, democracy is a good thing. In a democracy, the majority is more right than wrong. And if you get, you know, 51% is more right than 49, and 70% is even more right. But, you know, if you get to 99.9%, Maybe that's totally right, or maybe you're in North Korea. And uh, you have to ask this, this, you know, this very subtle question, a very imp- all-important question, where do you sort of shift from the wisdom of crowds to the madness of crowds? Where do these things shift to becoming you know, a mob or a racket or simply um, something that's you know, a totalitarian lie? A totalitarian maybe lie. Maybe when people rattle them up off of lies. <laughs> <laughs> I just really am like really bothered by a lot of the linkages, like implied linkages that he's making, like with with what he's saying. Because like, so first off, like his his immediate doubting of American democracy. So like, I mean, I don't know about anyone else on the call, but I grew up, you know, with civic education and like, you know, liberal, conservative, whatever. Like, you know, I was taught to love my country. You know, however you feel about that, however you feel about that. But you know, I love my country. So, like, at no point will I ever respond to someone having me doubt the very system in which I grew up that has benefited me in some form or fashion and benefits those that may or may not look like me. So, I mean, off rip, that would automatically generate a red flag. And then to then make that linkage to totalitarianism by then saying, uh, making this really weird point about you know 51 per versus 49 percent, then bring up 99 percent in North Korea. Where is the linkage there? Like, what does that have to do with anything? And then, what point are you making by even saying that? Like, I don't, I don't understand where he's going, other than just to kind of muddy the water. It's performance art. It, it, it is, and and to the extent that he is trying to make a point, he is building towards a point. I promise you. Um, he's just doing it very badly. Okay, uh, it's piss poor, man. It, yeah, he's he's not the best. He didn't he didn't take many uh, many public speaking classes. I guess he didn't have to. So, uh, but I mean, Bruce, you raise a good point, and and it's important for everyone listening to keep in mind the context here. Okay, so Teal, remember he's speaking at the National Conservatism Conference. Okay, and so far he's been railing against the vast majority of the medical community that quote unquote unfairly came after his friend uh fellow libertarian doctor from stanford okay so you know when he talks about like uh 99 agreement and a totalitarian lie right and, but he also talks about like you know like basically a mobocracy the idea that in a democracy in theory enough people getting together uh can make life hell i mean and I, I to which i would counter first of all that's why we've got things called you know inalienable rights why we've got the amendments why we've got bill of rights this is why exactly why you can't just make a law saying whatever you want if it violates basic human rights now obviously we are imperfect and a long way from where we should be but at least that's the mechanism that is theoretically in place now The way he's framing this, right, totalitarian lie, and then talks about the mob of democracy. To me, totalitarian lie is not the mob uh, mentality. To me, that implies government, 
right? The government, not the mob, is in charge of controlling information on a grand scale. I think I was is what I think he was getting at, right? And that also implies sort of organized conspiracy, which I think is also what he's trying to convince people of. Yep. Here. Yeah. And unless Teal is saying that a majority of citizens are calling the shots uh, in the United States, then I, I'm with you, Bruce. I don't really understand how he's getting there or what exactly he's getting at. You know, I I'd also like to bring something up. Uh, I a couple of years ago, probably actually, no, maybe it was just uh, a year and a half ago. Or so I was having a conversation with a conservative friend of mine. And they were trying to use the same ideology of like, you know, oh, you know, people are just mobbing, like, you know, this 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 whole idea of a silent majority is once again just kind of idiocracy to me. Um, if if the majority is against what you believe in, it doesn't mean that they're crazy. It just means that there's they're the majority. And whether or not it's right or wrong in the long term it's the majority and you kind of have to like deal with it. That's the whole point of a democracy. That's why we had to deal with four years of Mr. T Mm -hmm. because according to the rules, this man won the presidency and he got the chance to try and do what he thought was best for the country. Now it just so happened that, you know, not everything worked out that great, Um, but he got his (laughs) chance. And so, you know, this idea that, oh, whenever I lose, it's because the system is unfair, is just kind of ridiculous. Like, it's a democracy. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Just because you're on the losing side doesn't mean that people are mobbing you or anything. It just means that right now, the general sentiment is that we don't agree with you. Deal with it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and in more literal terms, you know, one can make the argument that, you know, the, they have that lo- the GOP has had that losing strategy for about oh, 50 years. And, you know, as Paul Wyrick pretty much said the quiet part out loud, it's like we don't want more people voting. We want fewer people voting, you know, because fewer people voting means they have a shot at staying in office, a la voter suppression laws, a la gerrymandering, which I admit the Democrats also take part in. I'm not they're not innocent in this, but the GOP, if anything, the GOP is a lot better at it, I guess, at bare knuckle politics. You know, yeah, um, because they use data analytics firms to figure out the best <laughs> way to do it. Everything is Look, metrics. Man, cheaters got to cheat. Yeah. At the end of the day, like, you know, I don't I don't know how any rational person would be OK with the system in which I'm sure they would be. I guess I guess the rationality could be argued there. But I guess like there's a moralistic argument against you know, oh, like me creating a system which I always win. So like, I don't, I don't, and I don't know if like you know, there's this like, and, and I guess maybe there's a, there, I feel like there's like this, this internal shame that people try to like avoid at the same time when they have these conversations about like this attempted authoritarianism here in the United States. Because anytime you ever call these folks out on the very on that, they're like, well, no, I'm very much a patriot. It's all about America. At this point, it's like, why not just say you don't like democracy and you don't like to share the toys in the sandbox? Like, just say that you're the, the 
kid in the sandbox that didn't want to share your your toys and you wanted to go instead go maybe shoot squirrels and kick dogs or something and not share your toys. <laughs> I don't know. But like at the end of the day, though, like how can you want to follow someone that claims to espouse democracy but then does the very opposite of that and then tries to turn you against your fellow citizens? Like at the end of the day, there's tons of people in this country. I probably can't stand. I probably despise. But at the end of the day, though, that's the whole point of this country. And so it allegedly makes this thing so great. Allegedly, right? Allegedly. But like, I mean, we sure like to snatch victory from the jaws of defeat don't we <laughs> or was it defeat from the jaws of victory rather there we go yeah like how, how do we fuck up our own democracy uh, <laughs> oh it depends on who you ask you know I, I'm, I'm not the the one to answer that one definitively you know it, it's not a how so much as it is a when is the is the fun is the fun way to, that i like to frame it it's like was it you know uh, 1619 was it 1775 was it uh, you know was it um was it 1876 i mean is so many there's so many benchmarks that we could think of and not to get too deep into that because again i'm not the authority on this one but you cannot deny that there is a certain amount of like systemic discrimination whatever that discrimination may be that is built into this system i mean it's it's it is oh, absolutely undeniable flat out it's america it's a it's about as american as apple pie um you know and those are the conversations we really should all be having those uncomfortable ones because uh i mean i like apple pie i mean <laughs> i'll have that conversation so let's have them for sure but you know who doesn't like apple pie peter teal Peter Thiel. No, I'm kidding. He probably says a lot right there, guys <laughs> no, and gals. No, no, he doesn't have time for. No, it. He doesn't have I'm time a, for apple pie because I'm gonna get disappeared if I'm not careful. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> no, no. Did you like that, Peter Thiel? I know you're listening. No, um, <laughs> but he's moved on. Uh, Thiel moves on in his speech, and he goes on now to complaining about dogmatism uh, in science, right? Uh, as it relates to government policy um and you know teal invokes uh the enlightenment of the 17th and the 18th century right and this he talks about the idea that intellectuals at that time they worked against dogmatism as he puts it you know the idea that you know they went against the 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 long accepted theories of science which we would now consider pseudoscience but that's how science works right um martyrdom Right, exactly. And, and Teal, you know, he complains that the scientific community of today is ironically stuck in dogmatism because they won't debate his friend's bullshit theories. Okay. So, of course, he compares the dogma of the Catholic Church to the, quote, unstable dogma of science. And, and the sort of, um, you know, extreme dogmatism, um, you know, has, of course, uh, it's not even been one of a very stable variety, like maybe, you know, the, the Catholic Church and its um, anti-Aristotelian notions, or its Aristotelian notions on Earth, you know, it didn't shift itself every month or every year on this. And we've had a dogmatic, maybe an atheist church in science, a dogmatic church that has uh, nevertheless had crazed hairpin turns in the last uh, year. Just on, you know, on the COVID thing, there too many to enumerate, but just, you know, the very basic ones are, you know, masks first ineffective, then required, you know, vaccines. One year ago, Kamala Harris was still campaigning that, uh, that you know, she would never take a Trump vaccine. Now they're mandatory. 
and of course, uh, of course, there's the uh, you know the strange history of the lab leak where it was first racist and taboo. Now it's probably correct, even though I'm not totally certain we're allowed to discuss that yet. It's but not it's correct. Sort of a, it's probably sort of allowed to allowed to discuss this. And this sort of dogmatism, the, these hairpin turns, this sort of epistemic closure is, I think, one of the ways that things have just gotten deranged over and over and over again. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He 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 said a lot there. <laughs> they really just letting anyone be billionaire these days, huh? <laughs> My gosh! For as much as the right wing crowd, I'm sorry, guys. If the right wing crowds on the on the on the here and listen, I'm sure you guys are because I'd listen to your stuff too all the time. <laughs> um, honestly, this, let's just be real, guys. Like, don't come at me on Facebook or Twitter or any other social media platform, or even in person. How? Don't ever do it in person. Don't ever come to me about someone being a sissy or whatever ridiculous insults you want to give about someone's character when literally this is what this is this is the epitome of crying and in in and self-victimization it's ridiculous it's 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 embarrassing yeah yeah it's embarrassing no it, like I've, I've never i've never heard so much whining in my life mm -hmm. and you know it, it it all comes back to to that to the to that victim mentality to that martyrdom complex because you know it's good for fundraising it's good for sales i mean there's they don't do it for absolutely no reason um you know until you know he's got that problem with the scientific community and first of all it's approach to the novel coronavirus uh because of quote crazed hairpin turns okay well that's how science works. He, he's talking about how, like, you know, initially everyone was like, well, and the CDC was like, masks aren't necessarily necessary. And then, you know, within weeks, it was like, okay, wait, 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 we've learned more now. Yes, wear masks, you know? And then it was just like social distancing and what it became. And so he's trying to frame the natural order of rapidly evolving science as, oh, they're, they're, they're lying to us, I think is what he's getting at here. Um, or intentionally misleading. And as for the lab leak story, I don't know if we all recall this, but a lot of mainstream outlets downplayed that theory when it was first being put out, mainly, as I recall, because it was like linked to a bunch of racist Trump bullshit conspiracy theories. You know what I mean? Yeah, there was absolutely no evidence to support it. Yeah. And, and at the time, like, so, so, and it, what he's talking about is as time went on, it, uh, these same outlets acknowledged it, like, okay. Trump didn't just make this out of whole cloth. It doesn't mean he's right. It doesn't mean the theory's right. But they acknowledge, like, okay, it's not completely made up like some of his other, you know, exam his other gaps, right? And some of the right wing took that as, like, you see, Trump was right the whole time. But it's like, no, that's what a real news organization does. However slight, however slight a blown call, they'll acknowledge that publicly. So it's like, okay, okay, well, not complete bullshit, but probably still bullshit you know, or probably not right. Also, can I, uh, I just want to throw a question out into the ethos about the whole lab leak theory. Like, so what? <laughs> oh, <laughs> like we, of course we know these labs exist where scientists are trying to understand nature. Like it happens sure, across sure. all fronts. Yeah. We do um, the, we do the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. And, and if it leaked, like there's several movies about this, if it linked, shouldn't we be more worried about each other than who done it? Like, just fucking fix it. Yeah, <laughs> and no, exactly. Humans figure out what went wrong. Make sure it doesn't happen again. Like, we're we're human, and 
overall, these systems are designed to help us, not like they're in a lab bioengineering diseases to try and attack each other. These are scientists trying to help the world. It's like people were people who are vaccine skeptics. Sometimes they'll say to me, you know, like in my personal life, uh, they'll say, well, it's like, well, you know, how can you trust something that was just, you know, created or invented so quickly? And my answer was just like, you don't understand how vaccine research and epidemiology works. They've been studying coronaviruses for a, a good long time. This is just a, a novel one. It's the only difference. So it's not like they're like the virus is novel, (laughs) right? It's just like this particular strain. It's just like, it's not like they were like, Oh, we've never seen anything like this. Eureka. We've done it. You know? Um, Oh, and as for the Kamala Harris thing, just this is an aside, but since he mentioned it, that's a long debunked little right wing talking point. Kamala Harris and Joe Biden made comments about the vaccine in relation to their confidence in Trump. And they did that uh, in late 2020 when Trump was their political opponent. You say I'll I'll link the, the the. the article but it's it's just a misrepresentation that was re-edited in the form of a meme that was then you know disseminated on facebook which is where trump got all so, his information basically a decision maker getting what was given to him and not actually understanding what he's talking about okay that's what i heard on the, okay. on the platform uh that he partially owns you know yes correct yeah mm-hmm. yeah but he doesn't need to fact yep. check you know? Nope. No. Oh, and, and as you can... Not when those dollars are at stake. Oh, you know it. Uh, those crypto dollars. Those whatever coins. Yeah. So, okay. So, as I was saying. So, uh, in, you know, in this, in a lot of this speech, right, Teal is rambling, as I've said, as we've heard, right? But complaining, you know, mostly what he's doing is he's complaining about dogmatism and the lack of skepticism and the need for dissent. Okay? Um... Fortunately, he provides an ex- another example. Afghanistan, right? Um, I think we can all agree was a failure in terms of installing liberal democracy. It was, a, it was a failure in any which way, unless you were the people who made money off of this 20-year endeavor, you know, because ultimately it didn't take. Whatever else we want to say about Afghanistan as a nation or Afghanistan as a loosely formed coalition of tribal governments, it's clear that, like, trying to take our framework and putting it you know, just imprinting on them, it didn't work, you know? And there's a lot of arguments to be had about that. We can discuss that one at length, all right? Completely different podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We could we could go there for a while. But it's important for nationalist theory in this context only because it's an argument in favor of a nationalist isolationist policy. The idea that we shouldn't involve ourselves in the, uh, you know, in the political uh, frameworks of other countries. Now, there's an argument in favor of that, obviously, but usually this has more to do with like a traditionally like a jingoist uh, approach to the world. Now, Teal frames the 20 year debacle as one in which few people offered dissent. That's not true. Uh, plenty of people were screaming for us to get out of Afghanistan for two decades. Uh, oh, very much so. Yeah, yep. Uh, but Teal, as his supposed example of one of these dissenters, he chooses probably the worst possible fucking example of this. And if we again want to sort of focus on a dissenting individual voice um, that, uh, that articulated the alternative um, in very clear terms, um, in ways that I will also quote, um, uh, it would, would have been uh, President Trump. It was articulated maybe at a late date. We can debate whether it could have still been course corrected. But he said, 
that Afghanistan was fundamentally and irreducibly a, quote, shithole country, unquote. And now, you know, you know I, I would never say this myself. Um, I would, um, I would never, uh, you know, there's a reason he was sort of out on a limb. I'm going to pause it right there. Um, yeah, I can see confusion. I had the same confusion the first time I heard this. No, I, I'm just like, uh, I would never say this myself. Uh, However, yeah, so let the me la- quote yeah, this yeah. guy that said it and let you guys laugh at it and not they, like, he laughs, immediately. They laugh. <laughs> yeah. Also, that, also, that's actually, a for whatever it's worth, that's actually a misquote. Uh, he didn't say that about Afghanistan for, for just, just to be completely fair. It was oh, in 2018. <laughs> it was, he was talking about, um, uh, let's see, Haiti, El Salvador yes, and various yeah. African nations with regard to immigration from those countries. So pre COVID yes. had nothing to do with any of this. Um, there's that billionaire accuracy right there. Yeah. Yeah. So just, but uh, you know, to Peter Thiel, it's all, if it's not America, it's all the same. You know what I mean? With the exception of maybe the UK, but anyways, I've got my own theories on that one. So continuing. In saying that, uh, most of us wouldn't wouldn't say this. It's not a very nice thing to say. It's not clear that it's a, you know, a very rigorous scientific description. Um, but, um, but certainly in a world where that, uh, that question couldn't be debated, couldn't be discussed, is he right? Is this an accurate description of the country? Is the $2 trillion just sort of throwing um, good money after bad. That's, that's the kind of world in which, you know, the whole thing ends in this, in this crazy way. The mob, the individual is right. The mob um, sort of silenced the argument and then, uh, and then uh, you know, it, it, it works until at some point it just, you get to this, uh, this point of crazed total collapse. So this is kind of a moot point because he misquoted Trump in the first place. But let's just for the sake of a thought exercise, right? Let's set that aside. Let's say uh, that quote did apply to Afghanistan. Let's just let's just let's just entertain this for just a second, okay? I have several, and I can see from your faces, I have several problems with this with what this example with with his thought process here, okay? In terms of saying that you know uh, uh, Trump. The president of the United States was somehow backed down by the by the hypothetical mob, right? Like he was talking about getting out of Afghanistan, you know, from this made up quote. Let's just assume that were real, okay? I I I don't even know where to begin. I, I really don't. I'm sorry. I'm I'm still stuck on. All right, if if Peter Thiel really believes in what he's saying, then. Like, he should have no problem with me calling him a shithead, like, right now. He should be completely okay with that. <laughs> Un- unfounded. And, you know, I-, I have evidence that he's a shithead. <laughs> and I don't need to prove it. Uh, but we should have a debate on the national stage. And I shouldn't be silenced because I think Peter Thiel is a shithead. Like, that's kind of what he's saying here. Um, and it's just, it's once again, like I said, it's, it's odd to me that... They're trying to bend and twist the rules uh, to make them look like martyrs, like you know they're they're dying and being canceled and uh, being mobbed out. Uh, when it's a, it's not really the case, like you're saying, and and b, if they really believed it, then it should be okay, like for us to be dissenters. 
Right, exactly. And, and you know, Teal's point is not to be accurate. His point is to frame up Trump, his guy, as a brave dissident standing up against the mob. Right Again, as if the mob, <laughs> this hypothetical mob, had the power to keep the military in Afghanistan for two decades and make trillions of dollars off the international military-industrial complex. You know? Like, as if they can do that. You know? Because whatever else you want to say, people made a ton of money off of that. Okay? They just... I mean... They did. Like, at the end of the day, though, I just feel like this is just another linkage to the trope of the liberal media. Like, it's just another, like, a little, sh- no, another shade, throw a shade at that. Mm-hmm. Because, and it's, and it's like a, an amalgus, like, ba- a basket of, I guess, different representations of, like, I guess, whatever is considered the left in conservative circles. And like, that's just kind of one of those things. Like, I mean, like that mob is consistent of that. Like he never explains what the mob even is. Nope. It's like, you know, ultimately, you know, all all one could ever suggest or assert is that he's talking about democracy, but like, you know, ultimately like we're not ruled by mob rule. We have representatives, right? Like we have a whole system of government. So like if one would look at history, which by the way, I'm a minor in history. Um, like basically one would then point out that this sounds very similar to a very uh, similar sounding uh, group uh, almost 50 to 80 years ago, in between 50 and 80 years ago, mm-hmm. that sounded some, sounded very similar in a very, very, uh, very um, fairly well-known European country that caused a little ker- kerfluffle some years ago. Yeah, so a country where he was born. Yeah, uh, the language sounds very, very similar. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. just saying. Yeah, yeah, and, and it's it's funny too because uh, the more you talk about that, Bruce, the more I realize that I, I'm forming a theory that Peter Thiel is his philosophy is is like a cross between neo fascism and technocracy, right? Because he has no oh, yeah. formal training in in government or, or international relations per se, but his like his attitude comes off is. I am rich because I'm smart and the world is going in the direction that I invest in. Therefore, I get to say what we do. You know what I mean? Or at least we should take the shackles off me and allow me to get. It's very, you know, it's kind of Ayn Randian now that I I really get right down to it. You know, like like he wishes because he did. He did kind of um i don't know if he underwrote or actually pursued this scheme where like people would create these tax-free floating country sort of things like you make an oil derrick or something and oh it's my country technically and i don't have to pay taxes he actually exploited a tax loophole where he um he he netted like five billion dollars um i think it was uh through uh unless i'm mixing him up i think it was through roth iras yeah, it's it's through Roth IRAs. It's that's actually also on the Wikipedia, surprisingly, um, and, and yeah, it's tied to his investments in Facebook and PayPal, like all the the companies he's been a part of. He like invested in them through the Roth IRA, and which means that once he reaches the age of retirement, he doesn't have to pay taxes when he pulls the money out. And that's that's what it's all about. Once again, ironic that these people like talk about how much the government doesn't work and blah, 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 and they do everything they can to make sure the government can't work. <laughs> so I'm, I'm assuming that what he, I'm just going off of what I know of a little bit about investments. So I'm assuming because the IRAs, uh, a lot of the uh, actual assets are in that, they, they, uh, the, the, they live on that offshore derrick. 
um, I'm assuming. I, I, so um, I don't know if he ever went through on that one. Um, I know he was linked to a plan to actually do that, uh, to create like little for like uh, synthetic island nations where you can, above other things, not pay taxes. Um, yeah, I wouldn't put it past him to try it. It's it's really about he he used the Roth IRA as his main investment vehicle. So most um, most individual investors, you have to go to whatever your brokerage is, uh, and you set up an account, and then you can begin to invest. And then if you hold uh, individual stock for less than a year, you pay taxes on it as if it's income. If you hold it for more than a year, you pay taxes on it as if it's capital gains. However, there's investment vehicles such as your 401k or your Roth IRA that are designed particularly for retirement. And so the way the taxes work on them is that if you quote unquote prepay your taxes, um, then you don't have to pay any taxes when you actually go pull the money out. Um, and I see where that's going. So <laughs> okay, okay. Like I said, he he uses his Roth IRA as his brokerage account, basically, and makes all his investments there. And that way, when he reaches retirement age, he can pull all the money out, <laughs> and he doesn't have to pay taxes on it. Of course, so he doesn't. That that's where the five billion number is coming from because the companies he's in, invested in are the likes of eBay and PayPal and Facebook, and so uh, at their current values, uh, I think Wikipedia. Yeah, Wikipedia says twenty twenty seven. Uh, he can re- withdraw the five billion, and that's actually not true retirement age. There's, uh, I can do a whole podcast on retirement. Um, Billionaire retirement. There you go. That's that's <laughs> no. Uh, even as an individual, so this is one of those loopholes that even as an individual, uh, if you had the money and the means, you could actually get access to. Now you're not going to make five billion dollars, um, but. You can essentially hide your money from the government and get a, a good portion of it back. Um, yeah, Teal was born in 67, uh, and they're saying 27 is when he can pull it out. Um, will that make him 60? Yeah, there's like rules yeah. against early... Like early, um, early withdrawal, you get a penalty. Exactly, yeah. so you can do early yeah. withdrawal and all sorts of things like that, and I think that's just the earliest he can do it. Now, we all know that he probably will just never take it out until he actually needs it. And then he'll probably throw it in a trust once he dies and his family will get all that money. Um, and then, But at that point, it will have to change from a Roth into a normal trust uh, brokerage fund or whatever. So that, that's uh, interesting. And that's why too. they've been working yeah. so hard to get the, uh, what is it, the, the gift tax, the the generational gift tax and when you when your grandmother or grandfather dies and they give you the money there was a tax on it and they worked really hard to get that reduced for this reason for all these other loopholes that they're exploiting see see this is why i love having jelani and bruce on this show because i don't (laughs) understand money and it's almost like you're jay you're fucking nostradamus here because Teal is about to finish off with the worst offender in the deep state, and that is inflation and the Fed. Now, I think, uh, you know, there's sort of a way in which, um, you know, Afghanistan is sort of this faraway country we don't know much about. 
There's a way in which you could think of COVID as sort of, you know, strange questions of health policy. But maybe I will end on one, on one uh, where I think the epistemic closure is even bigger. It's maybe, it maybe involves, um, it involves our, you know, perhaps our most sacred institution, our most high-functioning deep state institution, you know, one that we can't ask questions about at all, and therefore we should suspect functions worse than almost all the others. Uh, and it's one that I think, um, you know, to some extent uh, is accessible more and more on this common sense level. And I, I'm thinking of sort of the, the, um, the runaway, non-transitory inflation that's happening in this country and, um, and the complete bankruptcy of the, of the, of the Fed. Uh, okay, okay. So literally in my notes, I wrote, I'm not a money guy. So I, I I didn't follow exactly where he was going with this. I know where he's going with this politically, but literally, I, I'm not quite sure what he was getting at there, you know, um, in terms of the Fed and transitory uh, inflation and stuff like that. Um, the limit of my knowledge is shit is more expensive. You know, that's that's what I got so far. Yeah, I kind of had my mini rant on this last week, so Bruce, <laughs> if you if you want to weigh in, <laughs> feel feel free. I mean, I uh, I mean, I'm not an economist, but I know a little bit, and it's just I I just every so the the, the current like you know scapegoat for whatever like gas prices, like that's like another that's that's always been like a, a trope in these circles you know oh the current democratic president oh gas prices are through the roof Rah, economy's going up the, the country's going to collapse yeah or jimmy like, carter I mean, with and, uh, with property taxes you know right like i mean it's like oh oh my gosh like normal cyclical things happen i mean oh my god like seriously the sky does the sky always have to fall like i mean ultimately um there is an inflation issue um a lot of that was i believe driven by the fact that the u.s government provided funds that essentially didn't exist um to help the american people get through the COVID pandemic so i mean like so is he complaining about the idea that inflation is making the dollar less valuable for his purposes or like what what exactly is his complaint and like where exactly is the source of his complaint I guess I didn't really pick that up. Yeah, see, in in my rant last week, which still stands today, is like, yes, the Fed sets monetary policy, they set the interest rates, but they do not talk to your grocery stores and make them set prices. (laughs) They do not talk to the (laughs) gas companies and make them set prices. All of this is capitalism. So if I own a grocery store, Yes, there's a cost to get the goods to my store, but it's always way lower than the cost that I I use to actually, uh, sorry, the cost that I charge the consumer that walks in the store, especially when it comes to the larger chains. Like your your smaller chains don't necessarily have these big supply chain networks and efficient storage solutions. And, you know, if, if you look at your Walmarts and your Amazons, like they're designed around making logistics as efficient as possible so their margins are as high as possible um and so when you see prices go up in walmart uh they'll be all right because you can look at their these are public companies you can look at at their net profits and they don't need to raise prices they're all will be fine um and so I, i just say it to say that they they always point out 
specific government institutions as the boogeyman and you know it's a system so yes it plays a role but the businesses also play a role the businesses which these billionaires fucking control (laughs) (laughs) so like it's just it's it just that should enrage anyone who's listening to this podcast yeah and 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 for his purposes, like I said, I didn't really get, I don't get the technical aspects. So thank you both for that explanation. But I understand what he's doing like politically. I get exactly what he's doing because he, I keyed in on a term, deep state. Okay. That's a conspiracy theory ter- term through and fucking through. People like Alex Jones, Steve Bannon, and even some main quote unquote mainstream personalities, almost always of the right, they use this term to refer to some shadowy group, right? That really runs the nations and really runs the world, you know? And when he said that, it, it became quite clear what he was going for here. I mean, if it wasn't already, um, you know, Teal is linking money, right? And he's linking foreign policy and he's linking health policy to this. If you if you look at it, there's this concerted effort, it seems, to suppress dissent. Okay. Uh, which implies that there's, there's, a, there's some type of plan and people behind the plan. Now, Teal, he keeps going, right? Um... And he says some more stuff that I can't quite follow through all his rambling. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of, it's, uh, it's again, uh, we have the sort of epistemic closure in the form of, you know, everybody jumping onto MMT theories or, you know, theories that you can print as much money as you want to, there will never be inflation at, of course, precisely the moment when they're wrong, precisely the moment when no, no dissent is allowed. I've sort of, um, you know, I, I, I've, I think one of my sort of incredibly big misses of the last decade, I did some, but not as much as I should have, was uh, not buying enough Bitcoin, not buying enough crypto. Ah, the point becomes clear. We continue. And, you know, at $60,000 of Bitcoin, I'm still not sure that one should aggressively buy it. But surely what it is telling us is that we are at a crisis moment for the Fed. It is a canary in the coal mine. It is uh, the crypto market is the pure money market, and it is telling us that the um, epistemically closed uh, bubble um, around uh, fiat money in the U.S. is uh, is heading towards some crisis point. You know- okay, I just want to be clear on one thing before the rants begin. I just want to be clear on something. I actually looked up, uh, you know, Peter Thiel and the whole Bitcoin thing. He's made almost those exact same comments, like at least four other publications, at least four other things that I've seen, like whether they were like live speeches or interviews. He said basically the same thing, like, oh, I don't know if you should invest at 60000 a pop, but you know, it's the canary in the coal mine and we're all fucking doomed. So just want to be clear on that. Okay, he clearly has an agenda. This is pushing my meter a little farther to the grifter side than the zealot side. Because... He owns bullish exchange. <laughs> <laughs> have either of you heard of Bitpanda? Of course I have. Bitpanda. Guess who backed Bitpanda? I'm sure it was him. Peter motherfucking Teal. Currently valued at something around $4 billion. So... I mean that one's pretty obvious what he's what he's doing here, you know. Oh yeah, and, and, and you know he it, it's worth like I said it's four billion dollars. It's no surprise that he's pushing cryptocurrency now. The way he's doing it, however, is is what worries me. All right, because 
he's going to, this is his big crescendo. Okay. Everything he's been saying has been pushing for this moment. Um, and Teal ties everything together to a metaphor that all good right-wing conspiracists, uh, love. And that is that we are actually living in 1984. And so, you know, there's sort of a, you know, you can, you can frame the skepticism of dogmatism or the, you know, you know, wisdom of crowds versus madness because we're on the side of the madness of crowds, we're on the side of excess dogmatism. You know, there's sort of a centralization, decentralization. Is it too much decentralization? No, it's way too much centralization of, um, you know, is it too much misinformation? Are there too many crazy dissidents? No, it's too much the ministry of truth. And so, yes, maybe there's some theoretical debate, but in practice, um, it is, um, you know, if there's, you know, if there's a misinformation problem, it's a centralized misinformation problem, and it's the misinformation coming from the Ministry of Truth, whether that, that ministry was telling us things about COVID or about Afghanistan, or that there's no inflation at all, even, um, you know, um, even to the, uh, um, even going against what every, everyone says. Going against what everyone says. So you heard that term, Ministry of Truth, yeah? That that ring any bells? Because I, I it smacked of what something. What were we saying I about dogmatism? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh the, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. The Ministry of Truth. For a second there, I thought he was making a Harry Potter reference. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I guess it takes one to know one, huh? I, I mean, yeah. And then I smacked I hope myself. Hope you all read 1984 because uh-huh. it's like you know. I mean, very interesting that we have a billionaire over here trying to make these linkages about 1984 right? and the Ministry of Truth, right? Exactly. Mm. Exactly. For those of you listening who don't remember your reading list from uh, summer of seventh grade, uh, 1984, right? Uh, George Orwell's novel about a dystopian future uh, that features like this, you know, this just insane nightmare of of government uh, that included one ministry called the Ministry of Truth. They were responsible for uh, disinformation, propaganda, doublespeak, censoring newspapers, as if there were any newspapers left to censor. But yeah, that's pretty much what they did. And that's what Teal's saying, is that everything that he's been talking about so far is because of this hypothetical Ministry of Truth. That implies that what he's saying is that this is all concerted. This, As I said, this is all part of a plan that... You know, the, the Fed is is part of the biggest deep state and that everybody should, you know, the tacit recommendation is invest in cryptocurrency without pointing out that he, you know, he benefits directly from that. So, yeah, that's that was it. This whole thing. I was actually a little disappointed because I'm not sure if he's a fascist or if he's just doing a commercial at this point. What's the difference? Por que no los <laughs> I mean, uh, like, isn't fascism the marrying of corporatism and authoritarianism? Truth, truth. That's a good point. And also, you know, it fits with Teal because in fascism, or at least in the in the uh, in the Third Reich version of fascism, and really the Italian version, it, it, those who rule they rule by divine right, if so, so to speak. You don't have to justify why you're in charge; you just are. You know, and Teal, aside from being a technocrat, you know, in practice and in, you know, and in philosophy, he really hasn't offered a reason why anybody should fucking listen to him. So, well, yeah, all reactionary old school monarchists, since we've been fighting these monarchists ever since the concept of democracy ever came onto the forefront of humanity, um, you know, that's what they would they would 
probably agree with that. Yeah. I mean, you know, that divine right rule, you know, it's, that's essentially what the, the goal is, is to strip any, any semblance of individuality and freedom or I guess, uh, I don't know, freedom of anything from like the average person. Take us back to the days of serfdom. Yeah. And, and At Bruce, least you have Facebook, though. Bruce, once again, like Jay, you are predicting the future, sir. Uh, thanks for ruining my premise. That, that was great. Way to, <laughs> way to think ahead, sir. <laughs> because if I tend if, to do that, sorry. If they, so, yes, pretty much as Bruce has foreshadowed. Um, you know, if, if that wasn't direct enough, um, here's Teal's big finish. This is his take on nationalism as the best answer to globalization, which will in turn lead to basically the loss of individuality. Now, this one's a little long. But I'm just going to let this one run because it's important for, for context. It strikes me that uh, one of the ways the question of nationalism always gets misperceived is that it is, um, it is seen as uh, not so much on the side of individuals or classical liberalism or even conservatism. Um, and yet this seems to me very wrong because uh, the, the place where uh, we have the, the worst mobs, the most homogenized forms of thinking possible, are in the context of globalization. And if we think of nationalism as a corrective to the sort of, you know, homogenizing, you know, brain dead one world state that's totalitarian and where there are no, no dissent, no individualism is allowed, it is, um, it is the, the sort of all important corrective at this point. And, and I keep thinking that the, the worst forms of this sort of um, fake consensus fake dangerous centralization ministry of truth are all the uh, the globalist versions um so i'm going to pause there so because that that did run pretty long so yeah what we have so far bruce is him accusing us uh, uh, the collective us of doing the thing that he's clearly trying to do you know nationalism is a corrective to globalization which is a code word by the way um it is. Yeah, and the idea that globalization and a one-world government, which is another code word, um, will strip us of our individualism. You know, it's it's classic. Do, whatever it is you're doing, accuse the other side of doing it. You know, literal war is peace. Um, truth is, or lies are free. Whatever the hell, yeah. all that stuff from that yeah. is literally yeah. that he's doing double in speak. the flesh. Yeah, literally. And I'm like, and so the thing that like come first thing that comes to me the most is like clearly as much as you're accusing surely you seem to be an expert on this takes one to know one like you <laughs> seem to know an awful lot about the things you're accusing us of for you to have these criticisms of this very system of the, of the system and then what who would you what what nationalists have you ever in history truly have been able to support um to do anything for the people or for the general well-being of the people yeah yeah rarely are there Exactly. Like, what is it? Party like is eighteen forty seven again? Like, what is this? <laughs> like, what? I mean, uh, soon we're gonna have Whigs and Constitutionalists come back as parties. We might as well. We might as well. Go all the way I'd back. Be all for might as well. Popping on a wig and some heels. The, the new, the new, the new Whig party. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what? It, shirts and blouses party. The shirts and bl- I like it. I like it. Okay. Shirts. The untucked shirts party. Yeah. There we go. That's a, that's a deep. That's a deep joke there, Bruce. We, that, was, that was good. <laughs> but uh, 
But Teal, Teal will not be deterred, Bruce, by your logic or your observations. You know, to make this even more self-referential to the attendees here, I've, I've, uh, I, was, I was sort of reflecting on, you know, the World Economic Forum, the Davos Conference, where, you know, I last went in 2013. And Just pausing real quick for those who don't know, the World Economic Forum and the Davos Conference, it's a bunch of billionaires who sit around if they fly in on their private jets to complain about how, what we're going to do about climate change unironically in their private jets that they take individually. Just going to point that out. The sort of insight I had that was sort of interesting where you, you have all these different people, but they represent, you know, companies or maybe they represent, um, they're, maybe they're the heads of states, they represent a government, a country. They might represent, um, you know, in various contexts, they represent, of course, lots of NGOs, but there are no individuals. And there's virtually nobody who's simply representing themselves and Thinking you, you for themselves and saying, there, this Peter? is what I believe, this is not, nobody agrees with me on <laughs> Why this. Why don't you fix that, asshole? I'm looking at the facts and the data and thinking about it myself, and this is, this is what I've concluded. And it's sort of a picture of a globalist future in which individuals, you know, will, will not exist. And um, it will just be some kind of a, uh, of a brain-dead Borg. And I think the character of this conference will be the exact opposite of that. He's referring to national conservatism as being the the opposite of that. And I like his little Star Trek reference. He just had that sh- fucking shoehorn in there. We'll all be the Borg, you know. That was uh, uh, that was that was nice and really out of place. But yeah, I mean that's the speech that's, is like the Borg, so takes one to know one. Huh? I guess, but I mean that's pretty dark, you know. I mean Teal is railing against globalism and the danger of a brain dead one world government. Again, this is straight up Alex Jones Infowars shit. You know, and I know I've mentioned this on the show before, but for those of you listening who don't really know what we're getting at here, globalization, globalist, uh, global cabal, one world government. These are talking points of old school anti-Semites. Globalist means Jewish. Okay, I just want to be clear on this. It comes from like anti-Semitic talking points that refer to like, you know, the protocols of the elders of Zion, which is a forged uh, fake document disseminated by white Russian forces by czarist Russians in the 19th century. It's bullshit. Okay. And anyways, I could keep going on that, but that's, that's what he's talking about. Everything he's been talking about has led to this, that he believes that the people in that conference need to lead the way for a, for neo-nationalism to combat globalism and he thinks this is going to work <laughs> and so we don't want I, them to do it we want to do it ourselves exactly <laughs> i through the use of cryptocurrency yes <laughs> yes so can i can i make a, a one little simple rant about cryptocurrency lay it this on idea me. that you can decentralize currency uh crypto is a digital currency that uses computers which run on power that all the governments control the power grid to so no one's truly as free as they think they are unless you have a solar farm on an island that you own in the middle of the south pacific oh christ (laughs) he might have one i mean he he might he might have one (laughs) but you're you're not truly independent uh, like you, you, there's still a dependency here because the government can shut off the power and then your fake money is no more. That's a good point, actually. And, you know, you know, to sort of extrapolate on that, if if he really believes that the deep state controls basically everything, then what if they just shut off his Internet connections? 
I mean, for such a dangerous person as he is, this deep state sure doesn't do anything to this <laughs> this this guy that they're so they're so uh, they're just silencing poor Peter and his group. You know, they can't talk. They can't they can't express their opinions. We can't we can't view anything that they've said. Have you seen anything Peter has said on the topic lately? Yeah, right, right. No, he's he's all over the place, and and it's again, it's that it's that victimhood narrative, you know. Um, you know, he's even coming out with a with a new, uh, probably with a new cryptocurrency. You know, um, he's probably going to do his own thing. You know, um, this. Uh, th- by the way, for everyone out there, this podcast is brought to you by Peter Thiel's new cryptocurrency, Swastacoin. Swastacoin. Finally, your money has a final solution. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I couldn't. It's decentralized. You don't have to worry about the feds getting it right. I, cu- I couldn't help. No, myself. it's nationalized. <laughs> oh, that nationalized. Okay, and that's another thing. What kind of like billionaire in the 21st century can believe in nationalism? Are you telling me your money doesn't go anywhere overseas? His companies. He's rich because his his companies have technology that can be used all over the world. Right. Right. <laughs> he's literally from Germany. Yeah. <laughs> What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. He 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 is like if he weren't such a piece of shit, he would be like a citizen of the world. He's lived in a lot of places. He could have gone completely the other way with this. And that's really the part that's so tragic. You know what I mean? Like, okay, you you were you're obviously a smart dude. You got a top rate education. You didn't have to be a shithead. You didn't have to be a shithead, you know? And he can change his course now. I, shit. Peter, if you're listening. Maybe, maybe. It's okay. P- Do better. Peter, Peter Thiel. if you're Give listening, we can talk. I accept your apology, and I'd like <laughs> to work with you. We can help. We can do this together. You know, you know, Peter no, Thiel. We can do they, this therapy together. Yeah, they, they say that, you know, money is the, is the root of all evil. I can help you, you know. Unload your burden onto me, Peter. You know, it's all right. It's all right. He's not going to do that. Path to enlightenment. Uh, who knows maybe one day he will like uh if peter just gives me one of his billion dollars and i can make i i declare on power and consequence (laughs) that (laughs) i could make formidable change either whether it's in my local community or across the country like it's not that hard if you just actually take your money and invest it in ways that improve the world around you instead of bullshitting people at some conference. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and that's, that's pretty much all this was him bullshitting. It's like half of an infomercial for cryptocurrency, but it's also really troubling because I think it shows what he and people like him consider like their best path to success, which is, you know, propagandizing against the, the institutions that in part made them incredibly powerful and wealthy, you know, um, because they want more power and more wealth. So it's like, you know, when you think of it like that, right? Like Peter Thiel, what's he saying here? He's saying, don't trust anyone, right? But trust him, okay? He's saying, basically he's saying, smash the Fed and invest in cryptocurrency, which uh, a good portion of which he is invested in or controls, you know? And if you do that, what you're ba- what he's basically saying is take your faith out of the government and put it in me. You know, D- don't 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 believe them. Don't believe the Fed. Don't believe you know uh, the uh, the Treasury Secretary. Don't believe the President unless it's the guy I like, which is Trump. 
So I guess that's my question. Is this like with that all in mind? I I had more questions than I had answers. I don't know if he's grifter or zealot. I can't figure him out. I think he's crazy. Why can't he be both? He can be both. I I usually come down on more one than the other, and I can't make a decision this time. You know. He he's even keel. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I don't know. Br- Bruce, what what's your take? Do you have a you got a you got a conclusion on if you had to lean more towards grifter or zealot? You know. I would lean more towards Grifter than Zealot only because of his conclusion. Um, like, and it's just in his background and like what he's doing. So like, he is clear that he um, has started the bullish exchange and that's a cryptocurrency exchange. Um, he's poured a lot of money into that venture. Um, and obviously with the conclusion he's drawn, he's trying to push people into that. Um, I do think that his um, justification for his conclusion is very troubling. Um, I think it's very um, telling uh, about where his his mind is and where he's trying to go. Um, I mean, I personally wouldn't want to listen to this guy, but um, I think he's a grifting zealot, personally. I think that, you know, there are grifting zealots. Um, you know, you might have your Creflo Dollar. You might have your, your Donald Creflo Trump. Dollars. You might have your true, true. You might have your Huey P. Long. I mean, like, demagogues come in all flavors. Um you know they're gonna do whatever they need to do to attain attain power or money. Nice pull, by the way, with Huey expense. Long. That was that was good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jay, Jay, any any thoughts? Do you come down further one or the other? I I actually agree with Bruce on this one. I really think he's more of a grifter. Um, once again, like if you kind of just tie what his current agenda is. Uh, to his history, uh, he he's looking for money. <laughs> um, he's looking to grow his empire, uh, and yeah, he he probably feels a, a certain way about you know globalism or globalists in, in air yeah, quotes. Yeah, but uh, yeah, he 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 sees this as a means to an end. He sees this forum as a means to kind of get people in this world interested. And, you know, here's my solution to how we fix this problem. Invest in crypto. I wish I invested more. Yeah, which is such bullshit. I don't believe that for one second that he didn't find a way to win huge on this. That's 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 the marketing scheme. Well, you know? he doesn't need to. He he's he's a billionaire from his other investments. Like he doesn't True. need any more money. So yeah. so what does it matter? He can just be yeah. like, oh, I missed that one. I'll be all right. Uh-huh. I'll find the next one. Uh, And that's why I think he's a grifter because like $6 billion is a lot of money and you literally don't need any more. Like you won capitalism. That's it. True. True. Uh, And you know, also just circling back before we, Oh, sorry. No, I was a game over at that point. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. (laughs) You're fine. Yeah. No, it just kind of circling back to Bruce, something you were saying earlier, just real quick before we sign off uh, is a big part of, his uh teal's thesis in this speech was about you know being a dissident you know and obviously he's projecting you know he wants to see himself as the dissident but then i remembered wait a minute aren't you the guy that surreptitiously bankrolled um a uh, lawsuit so you could crush um uh, a gossip news outlet just because you didn't like them 
Like, wasn't that you? Didn't you do that by virtue of your money? Because you ding, felt like ding, it? Ding, 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 Like, fuck, man. This is... Oh, like I said, when it, when it happens in the opposite direction, all of a sudden, it's an yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Rules for thee, but not for me. <laughs> well, okay. I, I, I predict there's probably going to be a, a future episode of Peter Thiel, because he's not done by a damn sight. 2022 elections are going to be a shit show, and he's going to spread his money all over these elections. He's already done it. You know, He's got $10 million invested in J.D. Vance, and who the hell else knows at this point? So... With that, um, I don't know if either you guys have any final thoughts on billionaires uh, preaching nationalism and uh, and crypto fascism, or or have we said it all? Have we have we said what we need to say this evening? Tune in, folks, for the next episode of America: Will Democracy Survive? <laughs> <laughs> all yeah, right. I think I said my piece, and I just. Like, for all the shit that these billionaires talk, like, I really just, and not to challenge them to put their money where their mouth is and, like, try to take over the system, but, like, there's other ways you can help fix this other than, you know, shit-talking the Fed and and shit-talking people uh, who get canceled. Um, Like, you know, there's other ways you can help, so... Uh, I always try to, to arrive on the light side of advice here. And, and yeah, like Peter Thiel, just reach out, send me a billion dollars. We can work this out. Like, uh, I'll show you a thing or two about how to making, how to make the world a better place. And I, and in all honesty, he's kind of done it in certain ways. So it's really just an extension. Like, you know, some of the institutions he's set up or helped fund have brought, you know, very good things to this world. So, you can do it again, just, you know, ignore talking shit about the Fed. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, and, and you're right. And we could even, that can open it up to an even larger conversation about like, you know, what if, what if we invested in, you know, institutions that like, like in such a way, what if we invested in, in, in candidates uh, who were elected to office who would actually do things to help people? You know, like, because to a certain extent, you know, both parties full of grifters for the most part, for the most part, you know, but I I agree, you know, he, yes, have billionaires created foundations and institutions that have helped people undeniably, maybe, and kind of in light of what you said, Jay, maybe they could invest more in the idea of infrastructure such that government could provide things a little more even handling. I'm not saying socialism, but I'm saying just a little more, a little more in terms of services. So maybe we don't have to use uh, private foundations as a stopgap you know what i mean like i dream of the day when the mcdonald's found charity doesn't have to be a thing you know what i mean so that's probably my final thought bruce any any final thoughts on on crypto fascist philanthropic uh billionaires just keep your eyes out folks copy that i'm just gonna be a bumpy ride um and and definitely um and i'm just just in all seriousness i try to get this message out as much as i can like it matters like all this matters, um, like your local elections matter, like your state elections matter. Um, it's just not the federal government. It's not just the federal elections that matter. Um, and I'm sure 
everyone's tired of hearing everyone browbeat them over elections. But honestly, that's what we got. This is our system. This is our country. This is our home. And like, you know, if we're not going to defend it, we're going to have shitheads come and take it for us. And they're going to have people telling us what we want to do about our stuff. So I think that's a message that everyone can agree with. I think that's a message that conservatives, liberals, Democrats and Republicans can agree with that if we want our country to be truly ran by the people, the people need to take responsibility and, and own our country and, and, and truly make it a country that's democratic and for all the people and not to allow, um, I don't know, the, the rigors of modern life or whatever prevent us from our accountability as citizens of this great nation. So if we do nothing, then nothing will happen, then other things will happen that we don't want to happen. So take responsibility for this land of ours, the history and all the blood that comes with it, and own this shit. Because if we don't, someone else will, and it's not going to be a pretty sight. Just saying. Like it. I don't think I can do any better than that. All right. Well, that's it for this week. If y'all like the show, please follow us on Twitter at Consequence Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Stop Talking Matt. Uh, you can follow Jay actually on Twitter at uh, Stop Talking J A Y V. Did I get that one right? Th- that's right. Stop Talking J V J A Y Capital V. With a capital V. All right. Capital J Capital V. Copy that. Copy that. And. Uh, all right, we're we're uh, we're gonna get out of here. Please leave us a nice review wherever you get your podcasts. Maybe share a link to this episode with someone you think might get something out of it. And keep your heads up. And if you are a philanthropic billionaire, you know where to send the check. Just reach out to uh, Jay on his new Twitter handle. All right, everyone. Till next week. See yous.